Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. There it is. Chuck's on the phone because Chuck, you got satellite. A, he's full of stuff. What are you doing today? Um, I'm taking a friend over to see the offspring. He's a guy from Indianapolis. Uh, Indiana, and it's like one of his favorite bands, and I was able to get him into the show tonight, but I've got to be there with him. Where are they playing at? Where are they playing? They're playing right around the corner here at the observatory. You're kidding. No, I'm not. They're playing tonight, tomorrow night, and then Thursday night with the crowd. Oh, Jim Decker and the crowd. I love that band. Tell them we all said hello, man, especially Gruns. I will. I will. Do you see Decker much? Jack? Jim Decker, you see him? Oh, yeah. I see Jimmy um, on Tuesdays. Well, what you need to know is I'm I'm way older than you. I'm older. I'm not as old as Jack from TSOL, but I'm old. Jim Decker was the first punk rocker in Huntington Beach. I guarantee you that. (laughs) That doesn't surprise me. He still is. He is just, he's one of those guys, he doesn't, there's no act. It's just who he is. He is a punk rocker. And let me tell you, they had they had a band called the Flyboys before the crowd. Do you remember that band, Mike Mart? I do. Flyboys had a song that here's the amazing thing. About those punk rockers that came out of Orange County in LA, there it was such an inspired bunch of people, right? So so Jim Decker had a band called the Flyboys that made a 45. And one of the songs, one of the two songs was, it was called Serenade in the Sky. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. This is in 1977 or 78. And it goes, like a serenade in the sky. And the girls all wonder why. Like a serenade in the sky. I yeah. loved that song. That was that was 40 years ago. Was it? Yeah, 40, no. 40 fucking years ago. I just sang a song from 40 years ago. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. That's so cool. And, you know, Five Boys, like, even when me and uh, Jim Kay and I did a side project called The Wheelies, and we would do the, the Five Boys theme song all the time. I think even when we played that a little acoustic thing that Mart was putting on, or a vinyl, we, we played that song, the Flyboys theme song. Yeah, the Insolvent Songwriters Club. So music is the greatest thing. So I'm glad you're missing podcasting to take your friend to see music. That's a, He's that's so, a, you if, have no if idea. If it was like to do some lame recovery thing, I'd be pissed. But then it's going to, to a concert. That, that's a crazy world of Bob. If you said, oh, you know, I got to go over to this house and do this intervention, I'd be like, fuck that. You should be here doing the podcast, Chuck. But that you're just going to the observatory to go see, go see the offspring, that's totally acceptable. Well, this, is, this is what, is this guy is, uh, you know, Noodles came by and we did lunch like a couple weeks ago. And this guy was, the only guy that really wasn't on property at the time. So there were a bunch of people there for taking pictures with noodles because he's, like, famous and stuff. And he comes back and he's like, I can't believe you waited till I wasn't here to bring noodles around. Love Spring, my favorite band, merk, merk, merk. And he's going on and on and on. So when I called him last night and said, hey, can you go tomorrow? Or is, no, it's the day before. Can you go tomorrow? 
on uh, Monday? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. Nice. I'll walk. Monday, I'll walk. Monday, the one day a week that I podcast? Let's go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Anyways. Ed, all right, well, no, you're heading Saturday out. morning thing. That's never good. That's Mike Mart making it up. I got kids. You got kids. We can't. He's got kids. When are we ever going to get together on oh, Saturday? Oh, we got to try and do that. We have to try and make that happen. I'm actually. We'll talk more about that later. I'm actually looking for a picture because Elvis, uh, <sighs> Elvis's long-term turtle that we've had since he was one year old died. Chocolate lover. Aww. Chocolate lover died. And so we buried him on the side of the house here. And we got us, you know, a headstone and everything. But that's then, his name, Chocolate Lover. Chocolate Lover was his turtle's name. Excellent name, by the way. <laughs> it is a good name. So Chocolate Lover passed. That's how we say it. And so Elvis is now at Alvera Street, and he wants to light a candle for Chocolate Lover, and he wants a picture sent to him of Chocolate Lover. I'm going back through my phone. I think there's only one picture of Chocolate Lover. Then I'm looking back through years of photos in my iPhone cloud right now. But so, how are you doing, Chuck? How's recovery? I'm I'm doing well. You know what? I can, I need to give you a piece of plumeria to put over Chocolate Lover because uh, we put our last dog underneath our plumeria and it grows so fast. Are you allowed to bury dogs in Orange County? I don't think you are. I, I did I, I say bury the dog? <laughs> I meant- That's against the law, Mike. Did you know that? You can't bury a dog in in a city. I don't know what you're talking about, but I need to get you a stick of plumeria because if you put it over the turtle, it'll grow like crazy. Okay, let's do that next time you're out here, unless you have a concert to go to next Monday. Yeah, I I hope there's nothing going on. I I looked at that string of texts, and I was like, what a dick I am. It was like, (laughs) are are you available Monday night? No, but I've been no, shocked. Uh, I've can been... you call in? Yes, between 6 and 7. <laughs> but <laughs> but Chuck, it really is only I, I think I'm wearing away on you because some of the texts that you sent me this week are kind of, you know, that thing about... Salty. The, the, yeah, the thing about the Sacklers. They're fucking murderers, aren't they? The, Who? The Sacklers, yeah. that thing I sent you. These guys, have, yeah. these guys have been selling addictive drugs to the American public, Mike, since the 1950s. I saw that. You sent me since that. Since the 50s. A, what a bunch of fucking assholes. They're rich assholes is what they are. So, oh, yeah. So, How many lives per $100,000 are they making? You know, I mean, it's billions, but how many, how many lives? It's it, crazy. It, and, it's crazy that it's been one family. So this family brought Valium to the American public. How crazy is this? Valium and Oxycontin. Those are the two things they brought to the American public. And the fucked up thing is that they're so rich they can endure lawsuit after lawsuit, lawsuit after, after lawsuit. lawsuit. They paid a, a, a $700,000, $500,000 fine. Not they, a drop it, in the bucket. Yeah, so no what they made one. Yeah. So, so anyways, when I sent that to you, I expected a more, you know, Chuck is kind of... He's always a diplomat with things. And he's like, fuck these murderers. Yeah. That wow. was what you texted me back. I don't know if you recall, Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did because... Got under his craw. It got into him finally. The Don't Die podcast is finally rubbing There's off. There's no Pollyanna there. Just fuck those guys. All right. I don't have Messenger on my phone. So I, it's only when I get on my computer that I see those messages, uh, messages from you. Oh, so and when yeah. I saw that, it was... The end of a long day, and there's their stupid, <laughs> smiley, big face. They are some rich, smiley people, aren't they? 
And if you want to look in their no- down their noses at me, and I'm you very wrote, let me let me tell you what you wrote at Sunday yesterday at six oh eight p.m. That is some serious bullshit. Lock them up for reckless endangerment and mass murder. You didn't use the <laughs> f word, but you did use the bullshit word. So yeah, this the, so it's unbelievable that all this is known about these people, and they just go careless, carefree through life, just billionaires billionaires you know causing death and destruction to the american uh, public and it's just weird i just feel like sometimes servants bringing them fishy swans you know because i'm doing this tv show about it and i just you know the more i investigate and the more that the people that are working on the show kind of send me shit i'm just amazed that the the major media outlets cnn new york times washington post uh, LA Times all have access to this information and they're just like whatever what's Kim Kardashian doing today let's put her on the cover of the new edition you know what well, I mean? of course yeah it's so weird that there are mass murderers in big business in America and the media doesn't report on it at all it's crazy yeah you know Don't, so it, isn't that the thing isn't that the thing about big money they own the stuff you don't need very many billions to like have your voice heard, right? I mean, it, they they shut down everything they want to. Well, I, I mean, think it, it, by, with threat of lawsuits, right? That's what Trump's done for years. I'll I'll sue you. I'll sue you. That's what Harvey Weinstein did for years. I'll sue you. Since when is the media, which is the First Amendment? So I've been going back through reading the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and and the amendments because everybody talks about them all the time. And we don't really know. Do you know how many amendments just don't apply anymore? Mike Mart, have you read them lately? I have no idea. There's one about uh, soldiers cannot take over housing of uh, during not during peacetime. Like what the hell was going on 150 years ago? Were, were soldiers just saying, this is my house now. They had to have yeah. an amendment to the constitution. That soldiers just can't take over people's houses? It's crazy. That's good to know. If one comes <laughs> through your door, you can just shoot them. <laughs> it's this crazy. My- I think that's the Fourth Amendment, that soldiers can't take over private property homes. Apparently, that did. was something happening a lot. Otherwise, it wouldn't have made the top <laughs> ten. Huh? I know. But the very first thing they said, hey, we forgot. So the amendments are things they forgot. Hey, 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 right. we forgot. We forgot. The, the, the media, the freedom of the press is so important. They should be separate and, and criticizing and investigating and telling us when we're full of shit. Well, nowadays in the 21st century world where, where newspapers are fearful of printing the truth for being sued, we, that is a violation. Suing a newspaper is a violation of the First Amendment, the way that I read it. So these, and why we're talking about this is the Sacklers have just been getting away with this for decades. I thought it was just Oxycontin until I started reading all this shit about them. The guy basically invented marketing addictive drugs to the American public. Oh my God. The original Sackler, he's dead, right? So anyways, so that's part of the don't die. 
I'm, uh, you know, I'm on a new crusade against big pharma and against all this. But what we want, Chuck, is what we we excited that these guys started a Don't Die in Wisconsin and have a podcast and they're getting out in the community and just trying to encourage young people to get excited about life and not be, you know, dying of drugs and be open minded. And I, I think we need more. I think we need your friend that you're taking to Offspring. I think wherever he came from in Indiana or wherever, he needs to start a Don't Die. And everybody needs to start Don't Die podcasts and Facebook pages, Don't Die Wisconsin, Don't Die Ohio, Don't Die. And just start talking amongst sober people of how to help the, the dying people and amongst parents to how to talk to your kids honestly about drugs and you know, I just think that it could start a revolution because it's not going to be started by the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or or CNN. It's not going to be started by uh, the any any pres- executive uh, order from Trump. He kind of wussed out in in proclaiming. I saw that. that. I was disappointed. I mean, not not like I expected him to do something right, but I was so disappointed that. He couldn't even see fit to, to declare a, a national emergency with that. Yeah, it's I just mean, a health, emer- have a, a health emergency, which means nothing. There's no money in the till that the health emergency could respond to. I don't want to bore people, but Trump had an, an option this week. He could declare a national emergency, which would would force Congress to to earmark billions of dollars to address the death and destruction uh, of drug addiction in America, but he didn't. He just declared a health emergency, which means nothing. It means Medicaid, which isn't much anyways, can be used a little differently in the States. It meant nothing what they did this week in Washington. And I, I, I really did expect more, uh, you know, even though I know not to expect things from government, I expected <laughs> half a million people dying that should get some attention on a federal level but it didn't so we're gonna yeah, well, have no, to that, do it uh, like you i don't expect them to take care of us but i do expect them to every once in a while do some symbolic sort of we don't want the peasants to die thing yeah give and, a billion dollars what's a billion dollars you know there's an old political, I forget who said it, uh, Lyndon Johnson or something, you know, billion here, a billion there, pretty soon you're talking about real money, right? A billion (laughs) dollars to the federal government is nothing. It's a trinkle. It's like like $10 to us. So that they couldn't even allot special funding for treatment or education or now, or, you know, naltrexone or, or, you know that first responders all have what what they need to to keep people alive. None of that. Just it's a health emergency, boy. It's so sad. So we're gonna have to deal with it. So we need more people to start. Don't dies and get out there and just don't talk die to Arizona. Don't, don't die, die Utah. Don't. I was curious as to what you thought about that. I saw that um, Mike uh, Mart had posted, you know, some likes, and I kind of. I like the idea, and I wasn't sure exactly where you stood on it, but I, I think that's great. It's all Those good. Guys get out, especially, I mean, even if they do um, interstate things, it would be cool if, like, like a militia, they popped up in every state, and then they had little don't die conventions and all that stuff. Because it's going to take grassroots like that, and it's going to take people that really give a shit. Because, like, what you were talking about, I mean, it takes a lot of uh, it takes a lot of 
time and effort to even to do something like this, and especially when it when it's something that means so much, it takes an emotional toll because sometimes it feels like you know just another freaking drop in the bucket. And what are we doing? How how much how much change are we making? But then I hear somebody go, "Dude, we listened to that the other day and we thought it was great." So it's like, okay, I'm not not going to stop. Yeah, just talking about things. I mean, I think talking realistically about treatment and and its ineffectiveness. See, because for the most part, if you're an average American that's not affected by addiction yourself, which is 80% of the population, or from a loved one, which is like 50% of the population, you're just like, well, they they have those treatment centers and you know, if if you if drug addicts need to turn their lives around, they just go to the treatment center and then that treatment center just turns them around. And that's not true. You know what I mean? That there's, it takes a whole community of people. It takes a 12 step community, which I think is really not pulling their weight in this fight. It takes a a ethical uh, recovery community to really have aftercare and to really care about their clients, not just see them as, as dollar signs. And it takes the the kind of outspoken you know do-gooders part of the society to say hey <coughs> you know we need we need you know young people to have after after school programs i mean i'm big on like what caused this what caused a whole generation of millennials to just become heroin addicted and die what what how did that equation happen you know that's never happened before it's never been right. the leading cause of death for a generation. Drug addiction has never, I think we've been saying it is, and it never was close. You know what I mean? So we're like... Well, you know, it, but the big part of it is right back to your buddies, the Sacklers. The fact that they had such good drugs available in grandma's medicine cabinet, with like an unending supply, didn't help. Because opiates sell themselves, as you know. Opiates I mean, you know, sell themselves. Did, Opiates yeah, opiate, sell themselves. Opiate a, That's true. And, and you get it into you get it into the right person's hands, and it's all over. As a matter of fact, you can get it into the wrong person's hands. Even a non-addict, I think, even a non-genetically predisposed person without trauma can become addicted pretty easily because it's a damn good feeling. But that's the lie that it sells. Run. Well, you know, they certainly the floodgate of opiates to the masses certainly caught a lot more people up in the storm but hopelessness and helplessness that a whole generation feel that has something to do with it i i i really believe that that there is a hopelessness to millennials and and a and the anger in our society and a division and and there's so much in our society that is unique and never happened before how many times have you heard i've never seen this before you know, for most of the 80s and 90s, I had people always say, oh, this, this happened before with Jack Kerouac and the Beats, or this happened before, or this is no different than the hippies. Or, and now you're seeing things these days like we've never seen before, right? I have a question, though, and it used to be the protocol when you got prescribed opiates was... The pharmacist actually called the doctor and says, are you sure? I mean, is the patient, you know, in yeah, hospice? Yeah, that goes on. But is it in hospice? A... I mean, there was sort of like a medical community that cared. And 
and they only prescribe well, no way. opiates. Yeah, but I'll tell you how it happened. People. I'll tell you how it happened. The Sacklers changed medic medicine's opinion of opiates. That was their whole job. That's what they did. It, meticulously and with mindfulness and with patience from the 19 the mid 1990s they started changing the medical profession's opinion of opiates so that they thought of it as harmless as only 5% of the population will become addicted to these you have no worries you can prescribe as much as you want there's no problem with this so when what you're talking about is yeah doctors are like fucking you can't prescribe opiates for too long to anybody no, it was only cancer patients yeah, that were yeah. dying yeah and and the, the sacklers in particular purdue in specific convinced the medical profession slowly but surely over a 15-year period of time that opiates were completely safe and they were just as safe as aspirin and you could just prescribe as much as you want of it. And yeah. doctors believed that. Some doctors believed it because it was very profitable to them. Some doctors believed it because they're stupid. And some doctors believed it because they really believe it and they still believe it. Right? I, 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 it's just fascinating to me that the medical profession can take no responsibility for this epidemic. And are None. these young doctors? Are these young doctors? Or are they Some were like old. The ones I've talked to were old. Some in Sierra Madre were prescribing. There was one doctor in Sierra Madre was prescribing more opiates than some hospitals. Oh, my God. And he was just this old, you know, 70-year-old doctor up in, in uh, you know, in, uh, in Sierra Madre above Pasadena. And he just he got caught up. A bunch of young people died, and he ended up going to jail or being arrested. And do you think that they get that that the the checks and balances with the between the pharmacist and the doctor went away because it used to be like the doctor couldn't prescribe too much because the pharmacist would actually report him to somebody well the, the, but everybody was making money it was a gravy train but the but the key thing that changed was the medical profession's opinion about opioids it changed from opioids are dangerous and they should be only selectively used with a selective patient population. They should always be in limited numbers prescribed. And you should constantly be monitoring, monitoring that. And, and Purdue was able, and the pain management whole movement of the late 1990s was able to change the medical profession's opinion of opiates that, hey, they're nothing. They're totally great. You, you know, as long as the tolerance goes up and everything's safe and it's all regulated, it's all fine. And that, that was, and the only defense that doctors have at this point is they're either greedy stupid or they believe it that's the only right. defenses they can have and i'm going to confront all of them they the, your your explanation can only be one of three things your greedy motherfucker that just loves money that's that's understandable i respect that if you did something unethical but legal because you want to make a bunch of money i respect that if you're willing to admit that if you're stupid and you just believe this bad stuff from Purdue, I'm just stupid doctor, what do you want? I didn't know what I was doing. I don't think many doctors are going to want to be in that category. No, no that doesn't. <laughs> so they're going to they're gonna be forced. I mean, what other explanation can you have? Great. I was lied to. That's part of being stupid. 
Well, you're yeah. fucking, you saw what was happening to all the opiates, the addicts you were prescribing your opioids to. You saw what happened. Are you unable to read things on the ground? Do you only can understand things from medical journals paid for by the fucking Sacklers? Well, right? But- yeah. So greed, ignorance, or you still believe opiates are harmless. Those are the only two defenses any doctors who prescribe them and killed thousands of Americans can, can claim. And so, so, but the point being, why, why can't the kids get off? See, because their lives suck worse than mine ever did. You know what I mean? And I still see them have this great gulf between what being high is and what being sober is it's too wide a a gulf they can't they can't get over to the other side because they don't even know what the other side is because they've never lived there they've never had their own home they've never had a job that they loved they've never had a passion for life they've just become addicted at 16 17 they've always lived with their parents or lived at a friend's house on the couch or a flop house and then they go to a rehab and then they go back to their parents and then you know you've got a couple of them chuck <laughs> i just realized i was i was i was describing chuck's life i'm sorry i didn't mean to call you out like that but you know what i mean you know what i mean like they don't even have hope or they don't have life experience that addicts like us have had for multi-generational addicts like you know i get sober i you know i know how to work i know how to get my life back together i know how the world works i know how to you know what i mean i know how to do things addicts who had gotten sober for multi-generationally for decades were just people that drugs had taken a taken away functionality not they never had it now you have a generation of addicts who never had functionability. Right, so when they're right, no, when they're heading out huge. into sobriety, it's frightening as fuck. You know what I mean? Well, it's bad enough when you take away, you know, like drinking from someone who's say forty or fifty years old, and they go, "What am I going to do now?" I mean, that used to be a, the conundrum. What do you do with somebody who's been used to drinking? Well, they already have stuff they like doing. They like going on boats. They like water skiing. They I was like just going to say Hawaii. that. Yeah, doing things. And, they like and they, traveling. They start they like having whatever. sex again. Yeah, sex but we again. Don't have that, that we don't have that with the, with the youngsters. And they're getting the treatment so young because of the overdose and because the heavy opiate use, they're overdosing so often, just exactly what you were talking about. So introducing them. To things to life, to, to life, to excitement, to excitement. I took a bunch of kids to Coachella one year. Just get excited about things. It's fucking yeah, this stupid. Yeah, guy that I'm taking, guy that I'm that I'm meeting over there tonight is 23. Cool. And yeah, so you're doing that that thing of life is cool. Um, uh, what, one of the other things that that you know, and you deal with it the way you deal with it, I deal with it the way I deal with it. So. Another thing that would create a whole social network and fun and opportunity and apartments and life and relationships and stuff is the 12-step world. And so many of these millennials don't like it and won't go to it. The one thing that would give them some semblance of some life they won't go to. They'd rather live at their parents' house. It's so Mm -hmm. crazy to me. So you don't have a life. You've never had a life. Your life has been ODing from drugs and going in and out of rehab and feeling sorry for yourself. And so now 
you're sober because you went to rehab for the ninth or twelfth time, and now you're telling me you don't like AA, you don't like NA, you you're not you're not going to do that. Um, you don't have any sober friends. You don't have any. You don't even know how to have a sober romantic relationship, nor a high one, really. So, what are you gonna do? And I I come up against this with hundreds of addicts every year. Like, well, then what's your plan? Because the only plan I can think of is you better figure out how to get excited about life, and you better get some sober friends, and you better get some. So a better attitude about life, or you're going to use again. And the best free thing to do that in is AA. And you're telling me you don't like it because of this, that, or the other thing. I don't like those things either. It's not why I go. It's not why I went. It's not why I go. The rules and the steps and the this and the that. I don't give a fuck about that. I go because it's where a sober community is. I go because I want to help other people I want to help people get sober and feel comfortable and be a part of it. That's why I go now. Initially, I went because I, I didn't have much of a life and a lot of my friends were sober and it seemed like the place to go. But was I all step crazy? No. No, but it certainly, you know, had to go somewhere. And that's the thing. It's you had to go somewhere, to, right? You know, what are you going to do? I mean, it, you can't, there's not a whole, there wasn't a whole lot else to do. So I'm, Really, but they go back to their parents' house eventually after three or four months of treatment. That's where they go, Chuck. We need to promote. We need to promote the autonomy oh, aspect yes. of the a, of the twelve step meeting, which is you know create your own meeting of like you know of your group, man. That is that that follows these certain traditions and certain steps. But then is it completely autonomous and, and well, let me tell and you what, of your peer group? Let me tell you what Chris Hoy did. So Chris Hoy, you've met him. You know him. I don't know, Chuck, you know, if you know. He's the guy who, when I had eight days and I was staying on my sister's house and I had nowhere to go and I was bummed out and whatever, he said, Bobby, you can sleep on my couch and I'll help you find work. But if you use, I'm going to beat your ass. Right? <laughs> and he was literally, that was the truth. Right. The fear of Chris Hoy kicking my ass had something to do with me staying sober. It's a big right? guy. Yeah. <laughs> Tough guy, scary guy, yeah. been to prison guy. Oh yeah. So so I you know, I left my sister's house. It was I had about two weeks. I'm I started sleeping on Hoy's couch. Then after about a week, he started getting me work. I I remember I worked with him on something. I made like sixty bucks cash. First cash I'd had in forever, right? So then I'm getting comfortable there and about I'm there about two weeks and he goes, my friend Boomer's getting out of jail, so he's going to sleep on the couch. And I said, where am I going to sleep? And he said, well, if you clean out the spare bedroom, you can sleep in there. And it was a storage room, right? right. Just piled with shit of Bianca, his girlfriend, just piled with shit. Like no one went in that room. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and I was like... And I went in there and I took all day and night and the next day and I organized everything because it was all her shit. And I made like a little eight foot space, right? Yeah. With a little mat on the ground. And I slept in there and then Boomer got out of jail and he slept on the couch. And then me and him hung out with Hoy, started working for Hoy. Then Max, my girlfriend, was sober. She started coming over. And spent the night with me in that in that little eight foot area. Right. And then Hoy said, 
you know, Bobby, Max can move in here too, and you guys can live here if you pay $200 for the room. And I was like, where well, are you going to get all that other shit out? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, yeah, if you'll pay $200. So that's, that's it. Me and Max lived in that bedroom, right? Boomer was on the couch. Then Boomer's wife got out of prison. And that's before you had the house downtown. Yeah. 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 This is right when I got sober. I had like six weeks sober. Oh my God. And it's me, Max, Chris Bohm, his wife, who's still married to now, Missy, right? Four newly sober people living at Chris Hoy's couch on the couches nice. and in the spare bedroom. And Bianca and him, his girlfriend, was sober. Six yeah. sober people in a two-bedroom apartment. That's how Excellent. you get sober, Chuck. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Community. They're not going home. Max could have lived no, at no, home. Was, Missy could have lived at home. Boom, Boomer could have lived at home. I could have gone to my sister's. That's not a fucking solution. No, no. I going and getting. That's what we did. A bunch of us got a house in Long Beach, and then we actually got an apartment in Long Beach with a friend that was like so cheap. I think we were paying three hundred dollars each, you know. And and then we then we got a house in Long Beach, and we were working in Buena Park at Buena Park Community Hospital at, at ASAP there. And you know, we we all worked there, and we all had no money, and we all ate next to nothing. We were all, you know, but it was it was so cool. Yeah, I would, and I would go to Tropical because this apartment was like a block away from Tropical, right? I would go to Tropical twice a day to eat because they had the noon meeting and the nighttime meeting, and I would just eat a bunch of the bakery items. I didn't have any money, <laughs> and they were asking me like, "Yeah, you, you know," and then and then people that I'd known for years when I'd been trying to get sober, like, you know, Bob, it's good to see you every every time you're here. You're really doing the do. And I wasn't really doing the do. I was just going to eat the food. It's <laughs> funny as hell. Sometimes those donuts keep you alive. Doing the do. I'm really Dude, doing the do. I was really just like, I only live half a block from here. I just come by here to eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. And well, the really, man, old, the really old school meetings just had coffee and donuts, right? I mean, yeah. That was their thing. They kind of fed the, you know, the wanderers that came in off the street, you know? Well, Tropical, you ever go there? You yeah, of course. So Tropical, a lot of people don't know. Tropical in Silver Lake's been an AA clubhouse for 22 years now or something. And it started because the owner of Tropical's brother died of drugs. And he said to this guy, Tyler, and this other guy, Josh... And I was too newly sober to be in charge of anything. He said, you know, you guys can use that back room anytime you want for a meeting. But all I ask is that you buy, um, you know, pastries from the restaurant to justify. I won't charge you any rent or anything. And so that's why traditionally every meeting at Tropical has all those good tropical pastry things. Because that's part of the deal. You got to buy $25 worth of pastries and they'll cut them in fours. And then that's that, that gives you the meeting space. Yeah, that's right. Still going on. Still, still going, going on. on. Yeah. And so nice. That's get him to show up in um, uh, Reagan, uh Sixth and Florence when we go down to Skid Row, and we bring cigarettes. We bring a carton of cigarettes and pass out five cigarettes per person before the meeting, five cigarettes per person at break, and five cigarettes per person after the meeting. We got a whole bunch of people lined up to go to that. Yeah, meeting. they want to go to that meeting, but the but the truth is that. <laughs> you know, 
thousands of people gotten sober from just going to tropical. I know that for a fact, right? It all exists because one addict died. There's this idea that we're supposed to do something about death. We're supposed to do something in our own community about it. We're supposed to reach out more. We're supposed to do more. We're supposed to think harder. We're supposed to try to help more innovatively. And I'm telling you, the 12-step community is not doing that as much as they should. Would you not agree with that, Chuck? Yeah, you know what? <laughs> as much as I'd love to defend them, no, this is where we're falling short. We really need there to is, step up. There isn't a whole lot happening. At, you know, compar- it just seems like there used to be a lot more happening. I know when I showed up in, in, er, in 97, 98, in 85, man, 86, 91, we were going on trips. We were going places. If you didn't have money, they'd say, hey, you can come. You're new. Let's go. Right, yeah. they drag you around. I mean, Let's go to San Alejo. We've got extra surfboards. Let's go. Yeah, no and, it, and Let's, I just, I just really think we need to get back to that basic understanding and love and taking care of addicts ourselves. There's been too much emphasis that somebody else is going to do it or somebody else should do it or they should be a certain amount willing before I'll do it. No, we need to do it. Kids are dying. You know what I mean? It's not a joke. It's not. It's, they don't have to die. We need to do more, and we need to do better, and we need to even just return the favors that were given to us. Like, you know, uh, that, that idea that somebody really cared. Chris Hoy really cared about me, but he also didn't buy any of my bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah, and talking yeah. out and talking out against the you know the uh, the established I guess you could call it the uh, you know the twelve step establishment that frowns on this and frowns on that and tells people the wrong message. You know, yeah, the establishment that's growing old, you know, needs to be it needs to be outed. You know that you guys are not helping people. Yeah, you got to get out there and mix it up. So hoy. Here's the thing. He didn't say that typical thing. And if you use Bobby, you know, I'm, you're not going to be able to stay here. He said, if you use, I'll kick your fucking ass. Yeah. Meaning I'm going out of my way to let you stay in my house. Right. Don't fucking disrespect that. I think that's a fair thing to say to people. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah. teaching somebody about respect. Not like, oh, 12 steps, I love you. No, you fucking use, I'm going to kick your fucking ass. <laughs> Let's start doing that. Anything, just anything new, except for the same old, same old bullshit. I got a sponsor, I work the steps, I go to meetings. If you want to be sober, you'll do that too. What fucking, how is that being of service? How is that being of service? As described in the big book, Working With Others, Chuck, how is constantly reciting, if you want to get sober, you go to a meeting every day, you get a sponsor, and you work the steps like I did. How is that being of service as described in Working With Others? It's not. That, no, that's a, great, that's a great question. I mean, if that's what you're going to do, you know, stay at home and uh, help out your neighbors. You know, help take out your neighbor's trash for and be of service that way. But, you know, it takes soul. It takes soul. And, I, and, and 90s LAAA had soul. It had people that were willing to let you stay on the couch. I didn't know Chris Hoy that much. I, I didn't really know him. He wasn't really a close friend of mine. He became a close friend of mine. He, he changed my life. But he wasn't a close friend of mine. I was, you know, I was friends with friends of his. But 
he just saw me at a meeting and said, what are you doing? I said, I just got out of jail. And he's like, oh, are you going to get serious, Bobby? And I was like, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> honest you had this slippery uh, uh slippery uh aspect about yourself you know like <laughs> if you tried to help bob he might just turn around and steal your stuff <laughs> and then next time you saw him he would go but i was really sick and i, I don't know, know. You can't, can't you just give me a break i'm, I'm so sorry. for it i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i'm so sorry don't kick my ass hoy i'm sorry i'm sorry you know, and so, so I, you know, and by, and it really, honestly, the one thing that I was, was honest. I can say that because people would say, what's different now? And I go, nothing, nothing, nothing is different. And before, you know, that whole MO, Chuck, where you ask it, you, there's like this thing that goes on between old timers or people with time and people that keep relapsing. The old timer asks you, what what are you willing to do differently? And you have to say everything. And then they go, that a boy. And then there's this whole, you know what I mean? This whole fucking bullshit dance. And I had always been a part of it. Like, does it, you know, wh what are you going to do differently? Or, you know, it feels really different now, this time. This time feels really different. And I finally... This time that I got sober, I started saying, this doesn't feel any different than the last 20 times. Right. I think I'm full of shit, and I'm probably going to use tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the first time I was honest. And, and, right. Yeah. And it, it doesn't matter. You you brought this up a while back, and it's just like, uh, it, it seems like the phrase that's been coming out of my mouth a lot lately with new people is, find, you know, find the X, find the you are here. Where are you? Be honest. Quit being a freaking parrot. Don't repeat what you hear. Talk about where you are and what's going on. What's going on? Can't, you, you know, until you say it out loud or write it down, you don't, you have to say it out loud to know what's, I have to say it out loud to know what's going on in my head. And unless I say it out loud, I don't really know what I'm thinking. And that's the other thing is I, I implore all people who think they know the 12-step world because they've been sober a long time or whatever and they've been reciting the same things over and over again, challenge people to really read the book and really learn what it says in there. Because no, Bob, there's a guy everything who, they there's a guy that helped me and Mike named Bob Newworth, and he, he kept telling me, read the first three words on the page, whatever it is, 45. What's it say on the first three words of page 45? And I would have to run and go look at it, and it was little tricks that the old timers used to play with people, right? And, uh, you know, and when he told me this, I had three or four years sobriety, five years sobriety. It wasn't like I was fucking three weeks sober. And, and on that certain page, it says, we meet on a regular basis so the new person can come and talk about their problem. It says that's, that's the only time in any of the literature it refers to meetings. It says we meet on a regular basis so that the new person can come and talk about their problem. Not so that the old person can pontificate their wealth and extreme knowledge of the subject matter. Right. And, I mean, and it's about finding and being on the, you know, that's a big part of it. And if they bring, if they, if I'm talking to somebody who's new or even somebody who's old, I get more answers from new people than I do from people with time usually because they're more honest. They don't know how to curtail their answers to fit the, the temperature of the meeting. You know, they're not, <laughs> it seems like when you get one-on-one -on -one with new people, they'll tell you the truth more often than 
somebody who's worried about their reputation in the 12-step community. Yeah. That's what it seems sometimes. People are afraid to have opinions because it's going to be outside of what's acceptable. Well, I think you just get lazy. Like, I got lazy after eight years of trying to help and being so involved in people, other people's lives. You just, like, it's easier just not to say anything. I went through a whole period at, like, eight, nine, ten years sober. I didn't say anything. I didn't share. I'd share, like, I'm glad to be here. It's good to see everybody, um, you know, and I'll, uh, I'll pass. Right, because I didn't want to say anything that would create a conversation that somebody would. You know, I would have to be involved in anybody's life. You know what I'm saying? Because if you say an opinion, then at pizza afterwards, if somebody's going to want to argue with you, you know what I mean? Or like, you know, what you said really meant a lot to me. Do you sponsor people? I didn't want that, so I started just being present in the meetings and not participating in any way. And I think a lot of people in the twelve step world do that. Right. I didn't want any more sponsees. I didn't want new people in my life. I didn't want to argue with, you know, old timers about shit that I disagree with them about. And I had been doing that consistently every night for eight years. And then all of a sudden I just realized, like, what's the point of this? Who fucking cares? I'm glad to be here. And it was genuine and honest what I was saying. I'm glad to be here. It's good to see everybody. And, you know, I just like to listen tonight. And I did that and I'd just be like, I'm saying nothing. And most of the time I wasn't even paying attention to what people were saying. I was just like, I don't know. I wanted, There was a couple people I wanted to see and talk with and hang out with. And the rest of it I could care less about. And I think there's a lot of people like that. And either they don't know that they're like that or they won't admit that they're like that. Right. Well, you know, I am... I, 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 turned into that guy and didn't even realize it until yeah that's you know, I, think, like, I think you do turn into it and don't even realize it that's what i'm saying it's hard to see because it for me it was a gradual change i think it took us uh, a heated discussion a few weeks ago for me to see the real part i play in my current 12-step world which is minimal which is with an elitist kind my my what i consider to be the right kinds of people at the right kinds of meetings. But that goes back to what Mike Martin was saying, is that, you know what, if you've got all these 20-somethings and they want to bang on drums and play guitars at their meetings, they should start their own meeting. There is is one of that. You haven't been to that Venice meeting? Well, there's all kinds. There's all kinds of autonomy. That's what I'm saying is push the autonomy. Tell these young people that you know what this is your fucking shit, man. You can have your own. You can fucking have a clown meeting where you all dress up as fucking clowns and you wear noses and you know and and you give away balloons. I'm gonna dare Mike Mart. I'm gonna dare Mike Mart right now. I'm not saying you have to do it this week or next week or this month or next month, but one time. Make it fun. You need you need to go to this Friday night meeting in Venice. (laughs) <laughs> where there's no sharing, everybody just performs a song that means something or represents sobriety to them. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, those fucking, I kind of find difficult. It's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. Those I find difficult, but you don't you know what? You don't know what crazy person that's keeping sober. But no, it's yeah, there's lots of crazy people there that are staying sober. That's their main meeting. Yeah. And, and so I went there. I 
you know, and not everybody, for us. Everybody, <laughs> but I played, for them, it's great. I played cereal song because that's the only thing I knew <laughs> what to do. I'm gonna and, go there and play. Uh, she's a fucking machine. <laughs> oh, next <God>. time, yeah. <laughs> uh, Chuck. I don't know if you know the chocolatey song. She's a fucking machine uh, by Mike Mart by the illustrious Mike Mart. Are you familiar with that song? Yeah. No, I'm not. It's, but now uh, I'm gonna look it up. It's right. rather misogynist, I it would is say. It's a misogynist <laughs> song, but you know what? Right. Go, go, go into Venice, California, the most liberal part of Los Angeles, and play fucking machine as representing your sobriety. <laughs> that we gotta see. Stay you tuned. It, Stay 17. tuned. <laughs> it's what? Out. Hollywood's decided that rape, being rapey is out. Rapey is out. We'll, well see. So. If you were thinking about raping, stop. Let's no, see. I'm it's never over. thinking about raping. No, it's it's okay. uh, really what it is is it's a it's a Mike Mart version of a like a warrant a Lou Reed a song. Warrant song is what it sounds like. To no, me. it's a, it's a more like a Velvet Underground. Velvet Underground didn't <laughs> have songs about that, did they? Yeah, they did. Sure. Well, anyways, so there's all types of meetings is the point, and there's one where you express your share through performing a song. I would like, I mean, I'll even go. So if Mike and Chuck, you have to go. So one time in the next year, let's give it a year. So it's Halloween right now. So by next Halloween, we have to go to the Venice meeting and perform a song that means something to us about our sobriety. Wow. Mike's not Mike's already. I don't know, man. <laughs> what if it can help one person? <laughs> what if it can help? So, what if that no. song touches so, one person? <laughs> so, anyways, the, but it is there. There's a bunch of young people in in twelve step world that are real outspoken and pushing the old guard out, and I like that energy that's going on. That's kinda, the energy, kind of in be. Malibu and Hollywood. That's going on. But yeah. it, it's treatment professionals, young upstart treatment professionals, and they're just sick of it, and they want to have their own kind of... Uh, they know what the kids need. You know, if you're 28 and you've been sober three years, you know what young people need to hear. You know what young people, where their minds are at. Not 56-year-old, you know, old punk rockers like me. I have no idea where they're at. I just... I, you know. Well, I love the way you're readily just admitting that. that I you're do. completely out of touch. It's so it's so foreign to me to not be excited about the Dodgers and about relationships and cars and people and and fucking winter here finally and and Christmas is coming to have no optimism uh, about just a million things. That's what I'm dealing yeah. with with young people in in treatment. My uh, Chuck and you're you need to go to that <laughs> meeting down in Venice more often. <laughs> you, that's the problem. I okay, think. you need to. <laughs> but Chuck, you know what I'm talking about. It's just so foreign to me. Even when I was strung out, homeless, no teeth, the bottom of the bottom, I was always like. You know, I'd go to get the newspaper at the Winchells near the motel that I lived in. And like, just sit and read about the Dodgers and the Lakers and basketball. I still cared. You know what I mean? And we got to get young people to either start caring about the shit that they care about and all the old people that are in charge of them in the treatment centers and the sober livings and the and the 12-step meetings don't know how what that is and so they, we can't speak their language. 
that twelve step revolution. We need we need the young people to take over the twelve step world and rue it the way they want to. That yes. might be one solution. And if you're out in Wisconsin or Ohio and you're doing that, please email us and let's hear about it. I want yeah. Young people need to fucking take over the twelve step world and push the old farts out. That's the revolution maybe we need. Yes. Right? Absolutely. I think that's what happened when all us junkies came to AA. I think the old guys just left, didn't they? Because I don't remember them being there very long. Well, they get grumpy, and then they go start other meetings where they're not talking about anything other than that crap new meeting where all the youngsters are. You know, and that's fantastic. All right. right. Well, let's do that. So start your own Don't Die, people. Please reach out. Try to revolutionize. We got to reduce this death rate because here, here's an interesting thing that I saw a television commercial. It said, um, you know, about vaccinations in 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 Africa. Like, if they're not vaccinated, that might be the child that grows up to to solve the climate change problem, or that might be the child that that um, wins a Pulitzer Prize in in art. And and you know, as a as a motivation of why we need to care about about vaccines for the unincorporated parts of the world. I say the same thing about all these drug addicts dying. One of these drug addicts might have been the person that had the math equation inside them to solve, you know, the sun burning the earth to, to a cinder, you know, but they're all dying of drugs. And, and, and it's got to stop. The, what's, what's the difference between a, an American kid who gets addicted to opiates and dies and a, and a sub-Saharan African kid who dies? The, 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 the magic of the next generation and the miracles of the next technology and the miracles of the next art come from the next generation. And in America, they're dying from heroin. Let's heroin addicts try to start doing something about that. Right. Yeah, and and we're more a global community now than we've ever been. So it does it does affect what's happening in you were talking about with South Africa parts of the world. All that is all those people are a part of our world now. We're not isolated the way we used to be, although some people seem to want us that way. No, there's you know, we got we just gotta stop this. Mike, is that your phone? That's Somebody's my phone calling, ringing, who's yes. Calling you? Is your, is I don't know. Can we just children? say goodbye? We're saying goodbye. Goodbye, Chuck. Go to the offspring, have fun. All right. You guys have a great night. Love you. Bye-bye. Chuck, have a great night, man. And that'll do it. See you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake. 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you the call.